Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, the ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Bonjour. Caitlin Curtis and Dejnikas, Bodawadmi and Dao. Hello, my name is Caitlin Curtis. I'm a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation, and I'm really grateful to be here speaking with all of you today, so thank you for having me. I like to start my talks with a poem. It's sort of a, a way to take a deep breath, to pause for a moment, which I know we've had a few deep breaths, but I don't think that you can ever have enough deep breaths. So I'm going to read you this poem, and as I do, just settle into your seat, settle into this moment, this teaching. This is from my new book, Living Resistance. Maybe you don't know strength until you've rested beneath the branches of a magnolia tree, feeling the weight of her regal, waxed leaves. Maybe you don't know community until you've watched ants rebuild what was broken by a world much bigger than theirs. Maybe you don't know fortitude until you've noticed geese fly to the furthest border of warmth to protect their children. Maybe you don't know compassion until you place your hands in the dirt and feel the pulse of the earth, her heart and soul welcoming you. Maybe you don't know time until you run your fingers over a river rock, their skin softened by generations of magic. Maybe you don't know yourself until the mirror of the water reminds you of your goodness and brings you home again. Religions and spiritual backgrounds around the world and throughout time have held core values that tethered them to earth and to one another. As humans, we are to practice kinship and belonging and love. We are wired for resistance, for activism, for care, for the work of shaping spaces and movements that ask for peace and hope. In Judaism, the values of loving kindness, of respect for one another's humanity, and of shalom or the pursuit of wholeness in the world, are widely held as tenets of the faith. Sikhism values things like equality between men and women, community service, and diversity. Humanists gather their values from love and hope in humanity itself, not by following a supernatural being necessarily, but by being present to the life we have on earth. Christians hold to the value of loving neighbor as self, a command given by Jesus in the New Testament Gospel of Mark. And my Potawatomi ancestors believed in the seven grandfather teachings, love, respect, bravery, honesty, truth, humility, and wisdom, among other things. And we follow these teachings today to know what it means to live in a good way, to honor ourselves, our ancestors, each other, Mother Earth, and all who come after us. These are just a few of the many ways that we understand the sacred in our lives. When we draw from the richness of each other's practices, we learn more fully what it means to be human. Our inner work is connected to our outer work, so resistance requires great care for ourselves to feel connected and whole. When we learn to care for and consider our own spiritual values, 
we will learn to value what others hold important as well. I value what my Sikh, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, animist, atheist, humanist, indigenous, Christian, and Jewish friends bring to the table because we, all of us together, have created the world that we live in today. We are a product, but we are also producers at the same time. If we can learn to look critically and lovingly at our own context to ask hard questions and to challenge ourselves, we will learn to do the same for one another. And the seven grandfather teachings will find space in our relationships and in the work we do. But storytelling is key to this work. Storytelling flies in the face of a Western colonized mindset that says we must get the work done now or never. When we slow down, when we engage in the work of storytelling and story sharing, something sacred happens every single time. We are more fully prepared for wherever our journeys take us, and along the way, we are more considerate of one another, holding kinship at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. So never underestimate the ripple effects that even one relationship can have in the world. What I just shared with you is a little bit from my new book, Living Resistance. And I want to focus in today on these seven grandfather teachings that have been shared these are teachings that many of us as Anishinaabe people follow. They are words and embodiments that help us to live a good life, what we call Manobamadzalin. So there's a, a, a beautiful language teacher, he's Ojibwa, and his name is James Vukulich. And um, he has multiple online accounts, he's wonderful, you should follow him if you're on Instagram or Facebook, James Vukulich. And he has a breakdown of the teachings, and I want to share these with you today. So number one is love. You are all your relatives, and your relatives are you. Love yourself and the world. Number two, truth. Speak truth from the heart. Number three, honesty. Live a holistic life of integrity and let your actions match your words. Number four, humility. Don't place yourself above our relatives and be open to listening to those around you. Be willing to admit when you are wrong. Number five, respect. Take only what you need and respect all relatives, human and non-human. Number six, courage. Lead with a strong heart and stand up for what is right even when it's difficult. And number seven, wisdom. Understand the interconnectedness of all things and remember the seven generations who come after us will inherit what we do and don't do. So according to the story, long ago, a messenger was sent to see how the Nishnabek were living. And they discovered that the Nishnabek were living in a negative way and it impacted their thoughts and decisions and actions as we heard some had hate for others, they displayed disrespectful actions, they were afraid, they told lies and cheated. Others revealed pride, they were full of shame, and so the messenger on his journey came across a child. And this child was chosen to be taught by these seven grandfathers, chosen to be taught what it means to live a good life, and so he was given these lessons of love, respect, bravery, truth, honesty, humility, and wisdom. So before departing the grandfathers, they said, like we, we heard, each of these teachings must be used with the rest. 
You cannot have wisdom without love and respect and bravery and honesty and humility and truth. You cannot be honest if you are only using one of these other teachings. To leave out one teaching is embracing the opposite of what the teaching means. I want us to notice a few things about this sacred text. First, notice that something was wrong. The people were living in a way that was not good. It was not about kinship. And it was reflected in the teachings that they needed. They needed a change, right? My, my new book is about resisting the status quo, the status quo of hate or white supremacy or colonialism that we see in our world today. But we have to notice that the status quo is what it is. We have to pay attention, right? And so what we learn from this lesson is that we need to be paying attention. We need to pay attention when there are new messages that we need to be receiving, when we need to be following these teachings. The second thing I want us to notice about this story is that the answer to the problem was found in a child. And not just in a child, but in this sacred relationship between the seven grandfathers and the child. It was an intergenerational relationship that brought healing to everyone. And so we learn what it means to have relationships that build into these teachings so we can apply them to our lives. The teaching goes on to say that we are like the child in the story, that we are called to go into the world and live these teachings to live in a good way, Manoba Madzuin. This is where resistance comes into place, which is what my new book is all about. Grounded in things like humility, respect for the creatures around us, love, honesty, how are we engaging in a world that often feels scary and unsure? How are we leaning into this good life? Resistance always begins with curiosity and with questions. We often do not ask our questions, not because we're afraid of the answer, but because there might not be a clear answer waiting, or because our communities have taught us that questions are a sign of weakness. So what is resistance? Resistance, uh, as a scientific term, is measured in ohms, after the German physicist George Ohm who studied the relationship between voltage, currents, and resistance. But for the purpose of my book, it's a little less scientific. I use resistance as a way to understand how we embody resistance in our lives. We're resisting the way, we're, we're using our everyday lives to exert energy against the dangerous status quo of our time. But resistance cannot only be about what we are against. When we choose to resist something or someone, we are choosing something else on the other side. Maybe we are choosing ourselves. Maybe we are choosing an inclusive love or a more just society. We resist ableism or racism or colonialism because we know there is a better way. This is how resistance works. And we must both find and create that better way together. But we also find ourselves in this quiet, strange season of Lent, which is a season that pulls us inward. So I want to focus our attention to the ways that resistance can be practiced through paying attention, through listening to our bodies, to our souls, to the world that is around us. I want to read you a little bit from my second book, Native, because I write about Lent in the book. For Lent in 2019, I decided to spend more intentional time outside, I went into our backyard and touched the trees. I gazed out windows more often. I sat still because I knew I should. I remembered in that space my dust to dustness once again. 
and there I remembered what it means to pray. We pray because the creatures of the earth teach us how to pray. We lament because creation laments, and we must work to fix what we have broken. We repair because God is always repairing. And we decolonize because it is always a return to the kindness of mystery. It is also a return to asking hard questions, to making room for the work of forging a new path. Rachel Held Evans once wrote, the prophet's voice is routinely dismissed as too critical, but she always challenges from a place of deep love for her community. Rachel is commenting on that important piece of stepping into the church or whatever community we are a part of. When we step into it, when we make room for change and the wisdom to bring that change, it is often born in the wilderness. It is born in darkness. It is born in our grief. We bring up hard things like history, and we challenge ourselves to make things better for future generations. It must be the way. The earth leads us, the water leads us, and to bear fruit for a better world, we must lead one another, and so we pay attention. We pay attention to the land that we are on. We pay attention to the things that have happened on this land, to this land. We pay attention to histories of enslavement and genocide and native removal and oppression and continual colonization on this land, of this land. Presence through resistance is about recognizing our relationship to ourselves and each other and the land. Potawatomi author and scientist Robin Wall Kimmerer says it like this, the land is the real teacher. All we need as students is mindfulness. Paying attention is a form of reciprocity with the living world, receiving the gifts with open eyes and open heart. So what do we learn from this wisdom? We learn that reciprocity is resistance, that mindfulness is resistance, that paying attention to the land is resistance, and it leads us deeper into relationship with all things and all beings. I keep a begonia plant in my office on my desk by the window, it's thriving in that spot, right beside the bright light that filters in through the blue curtain in the afternoons. I have learned to care for begonias because I have killed a few in my time. And every time it is painful to admit that I could not keep them alive and well. So when this plant flourishes, I am full of hope. But still, sometimes I notice that my plant is thirsty. So I pour water from my drinking glass into the plastic container beneath the pot so that their roots can drink first. And within seconds, that water disappears, and I say, oh, you were so thirsty. They keep drinking and blooming and asking for more care in that most gentle way that plants do. And I say again that I'm sorry when they are too thirsty or too drenched in sunlight. And I often wonder how thirsty we are, or if we notice, if that mindfulness and way of keeping watch is happening in our own souls. I wonder if we let others know when we need a drink or a break from the heat or that we might need a little deadheading here or there. And when we get closer to the water, we drink it up within seconds, begging for more, while nearby someone says, oh love, you are so thirsty. I wonder if we even notice that we're thirsty. So in the coming days and weeks, let's pay attention. Let's lean into the work of resistance, 
Let's lean into these seven grandfather teachings. Let's lean into presence with ourselves and Mother Earth, who teaches us every day what it means to live a good life. Miigwech. Dialogue is a podcast of Calvary's Lenten preaching series, a 100-year-old tradition that invites wise and inspiring speakers into our pulpit during the season of Lent. Dialogue is produced by Noah Glenn of Perpetual Motion. Our theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about the home of dialogue in the Lenten Preaching Series, Calvary Episcopal Church is an eclectic bunch of Christian people. We don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into a beloved community marked by unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to Dialogue at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.